that was probably like the most um, like special memory I recall with my counselor just because um, in like the first like 15 minutes, like the first impression was like she was really thankful that there's still students like this, you know, going out of their way to make something that's required so important. And I think it really made her day and it made my day as well. Hello. Welcome to Cap and Gown College Transition Stories, a podcast where we share the experiences and lessons learned from students going into their early years of college. I'm Peter Kerr, joined by Kristen Smith, and in this episode, we're going to talk about the key terms and concepts that every freshman needs to figure out. Plus, we look at some of the most unique traditions on college campuses. This and more coming up. Hey, Kristen, how are you? Good, Peter. How are you doing? I am doing well. So we're talking about college terminology. In fact, the name of this episode, it's College Terminology 101. I'm sure you and the listener at home have heard the term 101 before, as in, Peter, that's podcasting 101. Don't do that. Um, <laughs> Very but where so. does that number even come from? So I did some quick digging, and according to a combination of both Slate and Wikipedia, looks like the term 101 actually started almost 100 years ago in the 1920s, uh, not too far from you, at the University of Buffalo. Um, and for the listener at home, like, we're not in the same room because everything's done over Zoom anymore. Um, but University of Buffalo did it as a way to standardize uh, their course catalog. As I understand it, the first digit is generally representative of the year you're in. So 101, be freshman year, 201, sophomore year so on and so forth. Second digit seems a little bit fuzzy based on what school you might go to. Supposedly, it refers to the department or subject, but I've certainly taken English 101 and Biology 101. And that zero in the middle is very different because bio versus English. Um, but the third digit makes more sense to me again in that it's the order of a series. So you would have to take English 101 before you could take English 102. So you've got your sequence with the third digit and your year of study with the first digit. Um, might be some variation, you know, early on by schools, but that's generally where we get the 101 from. Yeah. I feel like you just really gave the 101 on 101. I like, I see what you did there and I like it. So <laughs> yeah. why, why don't we kick it over to the conversation we had with students with some potentially more useful terminology for college. Sounds good. All right. Excited to introduce our guests for this episode. Would you mind just giving quick introductions to the listener? Hi, I'm Kavisha. I'm a fourth-year medical student at the University of Connecticut. Hi, everyone. Um, I'm, my name is Nick. I'm currently a second-year student at UC Davis studying communication and tech management. Awesome. So thank you both. The spirit of this episode is really all about the, the words, the terms, the concepts associated with college that maybe we weren't super familiar with when we were still in high school. So, Kavisha, I'll start with you. Just that very first question, what was a term or a concept, something about college that you had to learn when you got to college? Ooh. Credits. I think my Ooh. entire college career revolved around credits and the little world, the little world, ended up being so much more important than I thought it would be. Um, and so I wish I'd understood how that worked um, and all the different aspects of it prior to actually starting. Gotcha. So from like a, it was like a class load management or just? 
Yeah, so like things like the maximum credits you can take based on your GPA, how to request credit uh, extensions, okay. like things like that. Um, you know, what, how many credits are required in each content area and um, credits that you can take during winter sessions and summer sessions. <laughs> Got it. Um, and for my school, credits also determined your um, pick time for classes. So the more credits you had, the better likelihood there was that you'd get the classes you wanted. And oh, then that credits also determined your housing pick time. And so oh, wow. really, there was a lot to learn about credits that I <laughs> did not know. Wow. Yeah. Your sounds way more um, intense than, than it was even for me. It's also funny too, because I feel like credits is something that high school students really should know, especially for like AP classes or, or those opportunities to even get credits in high school for college. And that could be really confusing. Exactly. And then also like credits determine your status as a student. So full-time versus mm -hmm. not being full-time. Um, and then if you drop a class and your credits aren't proper enough anymore, then you can lose your financial aid in the middle of a semester. So it seems like a very little word, but it has a very big impact, it turns out. And so I'm going to guess a lot of this varies somewhat uh, university to university, but just from a basic understanding of credit, if, credits, if you were to explain to a high school student now, what are credits? How would you break that down for them from just a very basic level? Uh, so I would say credit is just associated with each class. So it kind of translates to um, kind of what it sounds like, how much credit but <laughs> um, you'd get for each course. So for example, most courses are considered to be three credits per mm -hmm. semester. So for the entire semester, if you pass that course, you'll be given three credits. And so for a college, when you graduate, there's a set number that you have to get within the, that time. And so that's one thing you're working towards. And then there's also a set number that you have to get in your major and a set number you have to get in different general education requirement areas. Um, but what it actually translates to um, technically is they say each credit is how much time you would be spending outside of class for that mm. course. So for example, if oh. it's a three credit course for each class session, you would be spending three additional hours of studying coursework um, after each class session. So that's how it explained it, but that's what the credits are. And, you know, you have to meet the minimum requirements for overall numbers and then the, um, the category credit numbers to actually graduate. And then sometimes for certain people moving forward in different fields, the credits they have also matter in being able to take certain exams or being able to apply mm. to certain programs. Yeah, that's so funny that I actually had completely forgotten about this because it was so long ago. But I ended up with a Bachelor of Science just because of how many credits I took for my, I was an English major. And I was like, why do mm. I have a BS? Like, that makes zero sense. <laughs> and it was because of strictly credits. And then I almost had to stay an extra semester just because they're like, you almost took too many credits for <laughs> your English course. I forgot all about that. It really is crazy how credits is so important to that your college experience i like you you had too many credits like back off yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah they're like maybe maybe cut it down Kristen. maybe maybe take take a take a semester off Kristen. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um yeah and i know it sounds like you know my college experience was similar when you described like for example the number of credits 
we would take most students i think took five classes at three credits each so you would look at like a 15 credit semester you could go more you could go less depending on your own you know situation but that was probably the average and it's like you're saying it's almost like you're you're taking these classes to collect credits to get to that minimum number so you can actually graduate with a degree um although it's much less fun than say like a game where you're collecting coins or stars or i have like that same mindset where like you know you gamify like oh, i gotta collect all these things and then i can i can win um all the tokens but over the course of you know four years uh, so, exactly. so nick, nick let me come to you with the same question what was something you got to college new concept or term that maybe you weren't familiar with before yeah well first i wanted to add well it's hard to gamify school <laughs> <laughs> as a transition i know kavisha touched on like big times um, and when you brought up the question, I was first thinking about um, UC Davis, and they call it pastime, which is basically registration. Oh. And at first, um, we were introduced to that orientation. Um, they actually saved it for last, where we'd have to like stay through the entire orientation, um, listen and all that. And then they saved it for last, which is what everyone was really waiting for. <laughs> um, I'd say this, the process was very simple, but also inefficient because... Um, we weren't really told what's going to happen, like how the process would be handled. But it was about like a few thousand students um, essentially registering all at once on a server. Oh, and that just doesn't sound right in theory. So when it happened, it was like um, the countdown for Happy New Year's because everyone was just <laughs> counting seconds of the clock when the registration time would be. But, you know, for us as um, incoming students, we would just think, oh, it's it's a perfect time to sign up for classes. Um, it's, it's really interesting and like your first start of college, but it was like hectic. Um, sometimes it didn't work. Sometimes your classes filled up. And for me, it was just something that I'd never expect to be so stressful, mm. but it's something that like everyone had to experience. Gotcha. And I know in, in high school, so my recollection of high school is I was never necessarily worried about, could I get the class I needed to fulfill a graduation requirement, right? I'm going to end up taking English. I'm going to end up taking math. Exactly. That's fine. I'm not, they're not going to run out of spots in math class. Mm-hmm. Um, but in college, did you face that that issue of, I, I know I need to take this course, but it's going to fill up. How do I manage that? Yeah, personally, um, I personally did not, but I know other students with less units, their name or credits, their name, mm-hmm. um, it's a lot harder to have a better pastime but I came in with a lot of units taken from high school, like you guys mentioned, the AP classes. Oh, nice. So it wasn't too much of a headache, but um, I would say that there was always like the looming threat of, oh my gosh, am I gonna graduate on time? Am I gonna get the classes I want, the professor I want, et cetera, or like the time of class? And that's when just like the research and the due diligence outside comes in where you're researching your four-year plan, what you wanna take and all that good stuff. Kavisha, you look like you were about to jump in on that. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So I was one of the students that decided that it wasn't bad enough trying to get credits for one degree. I wanted two in four years. <laughs> and so I had a very tightly planned schedule of what classes I needed to take when. And when if you find out that the class is full, first I is, oh, well, now what? You just wait until maybe you get off the wait list. But, you know, what if that doesn't happen? And so I found out about this little other secret word called permission numbers. Well, I didn't tell you about that either, but <laughs> apparently you can email your professor of the course and 
if they're nice enough, they'll give you something called a permission number, and then you can uh, register for the course, even if it is full to capacity, without getting on the wait list. Oh, that is that's a that's a good route to go. And so yeah. I had a, a set template email for permission numbers, and I just changed the course name, and I sent more than I probably should have, but <laughs> it's definitely the way to go because if the when you're waiting on wait lists, there's a, a good chance you may get in because people are always dropping courses. But if it's a hard course or if it's a lab course, and then you get into the course a week or two after it's already started, it's very hard to play the catch-up game. Mm -hmm. You just email the professor, get a permission number, and you're all set to go. That's a really good piece of advice. I don't know... <laughs> Yeah, I guess I don't know if we could have done that when I was in school. Or again, it probably varies from school to school. But I'm thinking of, and maybe you both have, have come across courses like this. It's not even sometimes the course doesn't fill up or the course is filling up. But I can remember courses that they only offered every two years. So you would only have two chances wow. in four years to even get into the course. And so I know that was stressful because you had some other people thinking the same thing. Did you? Did you run into any issues with, you know, the timing of particular courses and when you could squeeze them in versus not? Um, so I definitely had that because of courses being offered just in the fall and the spring. Mm. But that was one of the good things about UConn. They had for all their major courses, at least, uh, they had a on their website for each major, what courses would be offered in the fall and what would be offered in the spring. Okay. And there was a year it wouldn't be offered. So when I, after the first semester where the planning and registration for courses was a very big mess, I sat down and created a uh, calendar schedule type um, template for each semester and what I wanted to enroll in so that I could make sure that the classes would fit and I'd be done in time. Um, and then also kind of alternates because if it's offered every spring, what like if I didn't get in one spring, what spring would have to fit in. Um, but with that comes another word called prerequisites. Um, so <laughs> yeah. when you're making this plan, you can't just decide to take a course the first semester you get there or the second because it's offered. Um, because for a lot of courses, especially the higher level courses in your major, um, require that you've completed other classes before that. So you have to plan in a way where you're meeting all those requirements to be able to take that class in that semester and have room to wiggle around in your schedule if you are not able to get into that class in that semester. So we've got credits, we've got pastimes, or just picking classes. You've got the prerequisites to consider in there too. Um, Nick, I want to come back to something you said, which was, you didn't get the pastime information until the end of orientation. So there's there's a whole orientation that you know every freshman's gonna go through too. But after that orientation, were there any other resources or places you knew you could go to? If if you're someone like me, I would sit through this orientation, I'd zone out for a minute and come back and go, wait, <laughs> now wait, what am I supposed to do? You know, were there places you could go if you did something like that? I think definitely. Um the people on campus were really helpful and informative whenever they were speaking. So even if half um, like the group were to zone out or something, <laughs> there would be a lot of resource, whether like in person or online. And I think that's what made people um, very comfortable, not in a sense where they didn't listen, but essentially where 
they'd be very open to reaching out if they had a concern, if they had a question. And I think that just makes the process a lot easier, especially as a student coming in where you're not as confident, you have many things to juggle. But when there are resources around you, it just helps you feel more calm. Got so you had like a like a campus website or I'm assuming there's probably some sort of office somewhere too, like a registrar's yeah. office or something? Mm -hmm. It would be like a group of advisors um, oh. dedicated to like a certain, um, like multiple buildings of like advisory meetings. So it wouldn't just be like one group of advisors for everyone. It'd be kind of split into like niches. And then on top of that, um, that extended into like by phone or by email as well. Gotcha. That's like, you just mentioned an, another great word uh, for college, which is advisors. And so some students come out of high school where, you know, some high schools have more of uh, an advisor presence than others. I know, again, my high school experience, I knew they were advisors, but I maybe spoke with them three, four times a year if mo <laughs> you know, at most. Um, what is a college advisor like versus maybe what, what you would expect out of a high school advisor? Well, for a high school advisor, I feel like it's very relatable that they they don't feel as motivated to exactly tell you what to do or where to go because um, it's not like their decision to make. But when it comes to college advisors, I think they have more of like a blueprint for you to follow, which I think is very helpful because students are often you know lost and they don't know where to go as well. So I think the difference in having a college advisor is they will. They will give you the answers you're looking for, especially um, helping you navigate like your own career path and just outside questions. Uh, I think, but it's like in the job description, not exactly, but like they're allowed to help you more with that stuff just because in high school counselors, it's kind of hard to give advice to students when your one word can make an entire difference in someone's life. Mm. Kapisha, same question, your experience with the, the different advisors? Um, so for me, I was assigned an advisor based on my major. Mm. And um, I honestly didn't think her role in my personal career was much different from a guidance counselor. Uh, they're there to give you advice about courses and scheduling if you have them, or um, will help you kind of make sure you're meeting your requirements. And so we definitely had required meetings with advisors that we all had to attend and we had to have a required at the midpoint of your two years in college, like a paper that you, they had to sign that you were kind of on track. Um, but for me, I found that I had to be my own advisor and my biggest advisor um, because they do have a lot more students than your high school guidance counselor does. And honestly, they don't care as much as you do about your own education. <laughs> so while they are there to help you, you're, if you do need the help, uh, I think you have to be proactive and kind of take that step for yourself. Like, for example, I thought that the advisor was kind of like the guidance counselor in high school and they kind of took care of everything and you just went to class. And so during my first semester, I was registered for physics by them. Um, seemed like it was great. And then midway through the semester, I found out that the course that I was registered in would require me to take three courses of physics for three semesters and I could have just registered for a different physics section that required two courses of physics um, but because the advisor registered me in that I trusted that she knew what she was doing um, so I think it's best to kind of have 
an understanding of your courses and what you need to do and then rely on them for additional support. But I really think that with advisors, it's kind of what you want to make of it, but really shouldn't be your relying on them for everything because um, they have a lot of students and things can slip through the, through the cracks. Yeah, and I think what you're touching on here goes back to something that came up in a different episode, which is just one of those big differences you think high school to college is how much more of the onus is on you. And and when we talk about, you know, whether it's advisors, guidance, counselors, I think it's everyone's experience is going to vary a little bit depending on, you know, what school you're going to. And, you know, there's a lot of really good ones on both sides out there. But, yeah, when you get to college, to your point, there is there has to be more onus on you to understand. I had a similar experience, Kavisha, where I ended up taking two semesters of Western civilization, as you know, to fill this kind of history requisite, I'd already scored high enough on an AP exam that I could have gotten out of a political thought class that would have counted for the same credits. So I ended up taking two semesters of a class when I had to take none. And it's the kind of, and it was in a different episode, we talk about our worst final exams and it was in that class. Um, I was like, that sounds really familiar, Western. Yeah. So it's one of those things to your point where an advisor wasn't going to catch that for me. I just didn't do a great job of realizing, oh, these two different classes, they sound different enough, political thought versus Western Civ, but they were fulfilling the same requisite for my major, and I had an AP score that I could have plugged in there. So, yeah, I think that's, that's the takeaway. You've got to be your own advocate, but they're a great resource to help you along the way. I just wanted to segue um, onto something that Kabisha kind of mentioned about, but really um, the concept of just like being your own boss and what you were just mm-hmm. alluding to, Peter. Um, but I just recall my first experience with my guy or my advisor. Um, it was required, obviously, but it was during orientation. And um, like a natural like student or um, academic, I was like taking notes in my notebook during uh, a meeting. And for some reason, midway, like the advisor was just really like, mesmerized and like blown away because she was like there's not many students that come around listen take um, valuable you know notes and insight and really take it into consideration and she like was like really proud of me for some reason and then like she was like your parents should be really proud of you for raising someone like with such good manners and stuff and like like you'll do like even though i was a freshman at the time she was like you'll do well in anything you do just don't worry and i think that was probably like the most um like special memory i recall Mm -hmm with my counselor just because um, in like the first like 15 minutes, like the first impression was like, she was really thankful that there's still students like this, you know, going out of their way to make something that's required so important. And I think it really made her day and it made my day as well. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Well, that's a a really good thing to hear very early on too, because you're thrust into something so totally new for a lot of us. You, you went from a, small pond to a big ocean and, and you're just one of thousands. And so it's really nice early on in your college career to get that kind of positive reinforcement. Oh yeah. Okay. I'm, I'm doing this right already. This is great. Um, but then also I think Kavisha kind of what you're saying, also having the, the, uh, the confidence in your own abilities to later on when an advisor says, I don't know about this and I, I can do this. Um, yeah. And using your, having confidence and good judgment there too. Exactly. And I feel like for advisors, for me, it was just more of a class discussion. Mm-hmm. I'd talk about classes, kind of get the paper, required paper signs and be done because I had an opposite experience, I think, where I didn't really connect with her. And um, 
didn't feel that personable. And so I think there's always a high school idea where your guidance counselor is your counselor and your mentor. And, you know, they're the one you go to for everything. But for me, the advisor kind of fulfilled her required purpose. But then I found mentors that helped me navigate everything else that I felt more comfortable with. Um, and they did some of the same things that maybe the advisor could have done, but I just wouldn't have felt comfortable or even bothered to reach out. So there's definitely more flexibility in that terms of just finding your own mentors and connecting with people. Yeah. Yeah. And I think we have a great example here, just already two different experiences when it comes to that, you know, the, the, the same terminology advisors, uh, which actually has me wanting to jump to maybe an even more important topic when it comes to college, which is how do you eat? So meal plans. <laughs> so Nick, I'll come back to you. How would you describe, again, to a high school student, all of a sudden you have to probably, on one hand, manage some money as part of this too. And maybe you were already doing that in high school. But when it comes to college eating, meal plans, eating off campus, all that kind of stuff, what, what is that like as, as a transition goes? Well, I think everyone's experience is different. But I'll talk about mine and a friend of mine who was like the complete end of the spectrum. But for <laughs> me, um, I had a five-day meal plan where it was kind of like the dream coming out of high school as someone <laughs> who eats a lot. I, <laughs> <It's> a <dream. laughs> I, I play sports. I'm always hungry. I could, it was basically unlimited meal swipes. I could go into the cafeteria anytime I wanted. Nice. There'd be like obviously meals that are like freshly served and prepared. But if it was during like the odd hours, I'd be able to eat like bananas, bread, like all the healthy stuff, or just like make my own sandwich. So for someone like me, I took full advantage and utilized the cafeteria as much as I could. <laughs> but for other people, it, it wasn't as much of a craze or like a rave for it because one, they didn't eat as much and food wasn't as special as it was to them as it was for me. But I will add that my friend who went to um, another school in San Diego, his meal plan worked a little bit different where like you were men mentioning about managing finances, he basically had $15 to spend per day. Oh, interesting. On food. And that doesn't seem like enough to yeah, be honest. Exactly. And on top of that, there was no cafeteria. It was essentially like outside vendors or oh. food. So imagine oh, um, splitting up $15 per day on like multiple meals and that itself sounds extremely difficult. I, I don't know how I'd manage. Yeah, that's... And outside vendors, I imagine that's more expensive too, because exactly. that's always the case for, for us. You, you mentioned swiping. So just to clarify for anyone who's not familiar, it probably makes sense. But so I'm assuming it was similar, like almost like a credit card, right? For mm -hmm. like where you had like your dollars specifically yeah. for, for food, right? Like on a special card. Yeah, um, they called it dining dollars, but they introduced right. something new where um, it was kind of on the same like theme of like no child left hungry type thing. So they would open the cafeteria 24, or not 24 seven, but pretty open throughout the day where you could always come at any time and they didn't want a student to feel like obligated to not eat just because mm -hmm. of a financial reason. So that was really helpful. That's awesome. Yeah, we had something similar to the dining dollars, although they went the mascot route and called them bulldog bucks. But, you know, okay. <laughs> Mine were dragon dollars. Oh, so dragon dollars, really okay. <laughs> Kavisha, how about you? We had husky bucks. Husky bucks. <laughs> um, so we had, so for us, it wasn't 
so everybody that lived, if you lived on campus and it was a dorm, not an apartment, you were required to purchase a meal plan. Okay. And there were just three options. And all three options were the same basic plan where you could go into the dining hall as many times as you want. Uh, the differences were in guest passes. So the mm-hmm. as you more expen- got more expensive, you had more guest passes. And um, Husky Bucks, which is what you could use at like the student union <laughs> or just other oh, vendors okay. that weren't um, actual dining halls, but on-campus food spots that you could... Um, Instead of using money, it's just not already on your card. Um, but everybody had the meal plan where you can go to any of the 11 dining halls and you just swipe in with your ID um, and then eat as much as you want and you can go back in five minutes later. Uh, so that was very nice because UConn had 11 of them and each one had a different menu. So you could check the menu before you went or just go wherever was closest to your class. Um Guest passes will be your friend if you want to make friends. <laughs> because people that live off campus or are commuters, they have they don't have meal plans, but obviously want to come eat with you in the dining hall. So then they will be tracking you down for your guest passes. Um, and then I didn't think that that was that complicated in terms of meal plans. I think it was just really, I always went with the most basic option just because in terms of guest passes i didn't anticipate really having people come Mm. there that i would need to take to a dining hall for dinner um and even then in the most basic plan there was at least 50 of them um and with how many were the highest uh, (laughs) hundred like hosting a banquet well so then at the end there was like options where you could donate your guest passes for meal uh, okay. really um because there was always so many left over but and then i didn't ever get the plan with like husky bucks on it because they i feel like they would expire or and i just felt i could just the credit card instead if i really wanted to um so it didn't seem to make sense to me but everybody that lives on campus pretty much can access the dining hall as much as they want um i think I know uh, it was always a thing. You got to the end of the semester and you wanted to find who was your friend who didn't spend much during the semester and they still had all their dollars on their card because then you would just load up on the things you never wanted to buy during the semester. But I always had one friend. I got $100. We've got four days left. So who wants the nice things out of the cafeteria? Yes, yes. I would do the same thing. (laughs) In terms of finances, I think some people got very creative because... (laughs) When they say you're a college student balling on a budget, you really are. And some of the things you may see, well, so some things that I thought were great practices, people always had water bottles and they would just fill their water bottle because you can go in and out as many times as you want. So we could really just go in to do that instead of purchasing water bottles that they throw away um, or even just other drinks. Other people got a little more creative and started taking ser- full cereal boxes from cafeterias. <laughs> oh, jeez. Um, I've seen people take whole milk gallons from cafeterias, um, bowls, cups, utensils, really anything that fit in a backpack. I've seen people smuggle out, which I'm <laughs> not endorsing, but um, definitely <laughs> some ways to be frugal about it is if about finances is to, like, for example, you can pack some food to go like if you bring a to-go mm-hmm. container um or just you know use a reusable water bottle um gotcha. 
So I know we've got about 10 minutes. Um, I've got one last question because I think the only thing we haven't touched on yet that I think is uh, typically one of the major factors a, a college student needs to think about is housing. So just real quick, Avish, I'll come back to you. Anything that uh, or any experience you would share when it came to figuring out housing, especially maybe your freshman year, how that worked out? So my freshman year, I was assigned to honors housing. Um, and for a lot of my friends, they were also just assigned housing once they picked a partner. Um, so you can always change your housing mid-semesters. Um, and that's what I ended mm -hmm. up doing. And nice. what I quickly realized was what matters most, especially as a freshman, because all the housing is not good. You will have, <laughs> as a freshman, you're the bottom of the totem pole and you will have a little room regardless. So the best thing to do is pick a building that is near your classes uh, because for, most, for the most part, um, science courses will be in one area and like mm. math buildings will be in one area. So I was a physiology major and my housing building was on the complete other end of campus. Oh, no. So I would have to allocate oh, at least 30 to 45 minutes every morning to try to get to class. Um, and oh, so I ended wow. up just switching after my first semester into a different building. Uh, so definitely kind of going on your campus tour and picking housing in that manner. Um, and then also, even as a freshman, you can pick a roommate. So if you already know somebody from your high school or otherwise it's going to the same school, that's an option. But otherwise, there's also Facebook groups usually that I've known of for that school and then for that year just looking them up and then um there's people that are posting about themselves and you can kind of just almost like a tinder for roommates but not <laughs> you can kind of just message them talk to them and see if you kind of connect um if you're apprehensive about getting a random roommate because i know that's a little scary mm -hmm. for people gotcha no, that, that's that's good info uh nick how about you very similar experience um the only difference i'd say is that um, personally, for me and a lot of students for at UC Davis, at least, biking is like essentially a norm. So mm -hmm. while Kavisha was talking about like a 30 to 45 minute like travel time to class, regardless of whatever dorm or like on campus housing or anything, um, a bike ride to class would be about no longer than 10 minutes, usually for me, five minutes. <laughs> nice. But um, when it came to housing, it just really is a summary of picking and choosing um, benefits and perks such as like convenience and access to public um, places on campus like for example the gym the recreation center or your classes or dining halls or really maybe where your friends are living um, and it's really just it, like you were mentioning earlier co um, college coming down just you taking charge of your own life mm -hmm. and seeing what's best for you um, but there obviously were perks um, like for me, I lived in a newer dorm um, nice. versus yeah, an older dorm, but my dorm was next to what Davis has is like cows where they like keep to like take care of every day. So <laughs> it was, yeah, yeah, it was something I got used to. Yeah. <laughs> that, it's not, yeah, I guess that's probably not the normal experience or usual experience yeah. for a lot of people. Is, oh, yeah, here's your dorm and here's the, the cattle field. Uh, exactly. I, I thought I misheard you for a second. I was like, I'm like, what? <laughs> um, and, you know, I think it goes without saying, too, there are probably plenty of uh, people listening who are considering, 
you know, not living on campus or, you know, commuting full time. And that's obviously a way you can go to, you know, we can even talk about uh, this past year, 2020, a lot of people went home and did college virtually, which is a whole different way of approaching everything that, you know, we don't have time to get into here. But for a typical on-campus housing experience, I think we both touched on is there's all those factors, like you said, to consider, like, where am I living? Where's my food? Where are my classes? And how do I keep them, <laughs> keep them very close together? So, so this is great. Thank you both so much. Uh, do we have time to stick around and play a quick game after the break? Yeah, awesome. Great. So we'll take a, a few second break and, and come back and do a quick trivia game. Do you have a question that you'd want to hear one of our college students answer? Shoot us an email at podcasts at kaplan.com. That's podcasts at kaplan.com. All right, welcome back. And so to close out this episode, we've talked about a lot of the aspects at, to, you know, to think about in college, everything from credits to housing, to picking classes, to advisors, to, to meal plans. And along the way, right, we've mentioned how every student's going to have a unique experience. Every campus is a little bit different. So what I thought would be fun to do is to find the most unique traditions on various campuses across the country and have a little pop quiz with that. So I've got six questions, so three for each of you. Uh, Kavisha, I will start with you first. The first tradition I found, and again, these are on the internet, so they're all true. Um, <laughs> no, but uh, this first tradition is called the Krispy Kreme Challenge, which is at North Carolina State. And so in this challenge, and here's the question, runners run two and a half miles from campus to a Krispy Kreme shop. They do this... And then they run two and a half miles back to campus. So what do they do when they get the Krispy Kreme? Mm. Eat a dozen donuts? That is exactly right. Yep. They eat a dozen donuts. Hey. <laughs> run two and a half miles. That was, it wasn't even just eat donuts. You got the exact amount of donuts, yeah. too. Um, wow. So, yeah. So they like, run two and a half geez. miles, eat a, eat a dozen donuts, run two and a half miles back. Uh, and it's, it's for like charity. a really good idea, too. <laughs> I mean, no I, puking at all. I, I couldn't even eat a dozen donuts without the running. I don't want to do that <laughs> and then run five miles as part of it, too. Uh, I can't do either of those <laughs> without puking. Takes the box and runs. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I guess you do. I don't think you run. I think you, I don't know how much time you get in between. Uh, but anyway, it's it started as a dare, I guess, between friends and now has uh, bloomed into a um, an event that benefits the North Carolina Children's Hospital, and they've raised $1.8 million since 2004. Oh, awesome. So very cool and random, unique uh, tradition there. So, Nick, let me come to you for this one, which is called, and I think I'm pronouncing this right, Dolphy Day, or Dolphy Day, Dolphy Day. This is at Lemoyne College, and this is a traditional day off for students in the spring, uh, beginning at 2 a.m. with fireworks, but... What makes this day unique is that the students don't know what about it. They don't know. There's an important element to it that they don't know. Fireworks. Where? Oh, really close. Not where, but... One of the other W's. Why? But I feel like... <laughs> <laughs> that too. <laughs> yeah, when, 
So okay. they don't know what day of the year it's going to happen. Oh, wow. It's so just they know it's coming at some point, and then one day, boom, here, here's your day off. But you don't know. Two a.m. Uh, yeah, starting off uh, two a.m. with fireworks, and you don't know when it's coming. <laughs> which I thought that's actually that's kind of fun. You just know it's coming, but you don't know exactly which day. So don't plan anything. Hopefully, anything important for like a span of three weeks. I don't know. <laughs> um, so Kamisha, let me come back to you. The next one is called the pterodactyl hunt. This is at Swarthmore College, and it's organized by Sci-Fi, the science fiction club on campus. Um, and students acquire foam swords and act as either hunters or monsters, only differentiated by wearing either white or black these. Hats? <laughs> Not hats, uh, trash bags. Um, so they all put on black and white, black or white trash bags, which determines whether you are a hunter or a monster. And then you run around campus with a foam sword and you battle. <laughs> and apparently that Naturally. is a popular tradition. The ter- I, don't, I don't know why it's called the pterodactyl hunt. I, I guess some of the monsters must be pterodactyls. Uh, but at Swarthmore College. Uh, Nick, back to you. Uh, this one's called Orgo Night. So this is at Columbia University. On the eve of finals, this group marches into the library to distract all of the students who are studying for their organic chemistry finals. I was thinking it was going to be music related, like maybe a choir. Oh, really close. A band? The school marching band. (laughs) Oh. (laughs) School marching band marches into the library on the eve of finals, uh, just creating a scene. And for anyone who's studying for their uh, organic chem final, uh, they got to put up with that. Uh, at the same time to be honest like it, it's, it sounds like the kind of thing I can't decide whether it'd be hilarious or I'd be super annoyed if I was really trying to study uh, right because it's like a, you know, a marching band coming in um, but a, a long standing tradition uh, okay uh, two more uh, Kavisha last for you uh, Ooze Fest SUNY at Buffalo so every spring since 1984 SUNY Buffalo holds the nation's largest collegiate volleyball tournament but Rather than a traditional volleyball court or sand, players play in this. Mud. Mud. That is absolutely correct. You that right away because UConn does the same thing. Oh, do they really? Oh, that's funny. That's awesome. Yeah, this, um, I thought like, oh, I guess that's kind of neat, mud volleyball. But then I looked into it more and just for scale, I guess most recently they had a bracket of 192 volleyball teams playing on 24 mud courts in a double elimination tournament. It's a very big deal at UConn as well, and okay. it is a nightmare for the like halls because then there's <laughs> mud footprints oh, everywhere. Oh man! And so they like recommend you hose yourself down like right over the, at the courts, and there's it's just everybody's covered in mud and like I don't know showering on the fields. <laughs> but that's fun. They they do it uh, at UConn as well, so. You got to yeah. see this time. You got two answers, hundred percent correct. Hey, look at that! Um, and then last, uh, Nick, for you, the piano drop at MIT. So at MIT, students roll a piano off the top of Baker Hall on this day, which is the last day a student can do what? This kind of goes back to picking classes and some of the class stuff we talked about. I don't want to say register, but maybe drop a class. That's exactly it. So 
<laughs> nice, nicely done. Yeah, the piano yeah. drop. They drop a piano off a building on the last day that you can drop a class. And uh, now again, that's at MIT to memorialize that day, I suppose. So. Very literal. Um, <laughs> right. Way to memorialize. Yeah. Um, so anyway, thought these were fun. There are tons more out there. Uh, I'm, I'm sure. Well, Kavisha, you already mentioned UConn shares one of these. I'm sure every campus has some variation of, you know, a unique tradition. And so for a listener looking to go to school, that'll be one of the fun things you get to discover on your way there. Um, So that's all we had for this episode. Just want to, again, say thanks so much, Kavisha and Nick, for joining us today. Really appreciated your your stories and your insights. Thank you guys so much. (laughs) Thank you for having us. And that's our episode. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed this one, please check out our others and be sure to like, rate, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. For Kristen, I'm Peter. We'll see you next time.